0: The the lo-fi nature of it is kind of mostly driven by the fact that we we didn't have a lot of gear. You know, the, the first wines were made in the back shed,
1: Welcome to the Fermenting Place podcast, one of the few podcasts that concerns itself with the co-ferment of people and place. Here, we take deep dives via casual conversation into the infinitely fascinating world of fermentative beverages, such as wine and other drinks. I'm your host, Daniel Honan. My guests for episode 38 of the Fermenting Place podcast are dynamic duo winemaking artists Andris and Yoko Mostert from Brave New Wine Straight out of Denmark, Western Australia. Andres and Yoko produce wine like no one else I know in Australia. Every bloody bottle is damn delicious, no holds barred, volatile frivolity that's full of funk and fun. Seriously, turn on, tune in and drop out as Yoko and Andres share their journey to get to the brave new world of wine. In episode 38, Andres, Yoko and I discuss bandwagons, ending to begin again, pushing the progression, embracing the cluster funk, frozen ferments, art, depth, and detail by design, and much more, of course. Quick note, this is the final episode of the Fermenting Place podcast for 2021. As these are wont to land fortnightly on a Friday, and the next Friday after this, being the 10th, is the 24th of December. I've decided to let it ride and say goodbye to 2021 on a high and bright note. If this conversation doesn't spark joy in light of the pure chicanery arising from almost every incumbent institution in 2021, then we truly are lost as a culture, as a civilization. Thus, fuck 'em all. Let's drink to our health, happiness and sovereignty by cracking open a couple of bottles of Brave New Wine and letting love and wine rule. Thank you for listening and thank you to the fermenting Place patrons Ollie, James, Timbo, Mitchell, Mark and Sean for all your fiscal support this year. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to each and every one of you. Don't forget... If you dig what you hear, consider exchanging a little value for value. You can show your support for the show and help to ensure its sustainability by becoming a Patreon subscriber via Patreon over at patreon.com forward slash Daniel. Otherwise, you can make a one-off donation via PayPal by clicking the icon link on the Fermenting Place website over at fermentingplace.com. Or if you want to join me and others in the future, download a podcasting 2.0 app such as the Fountain, Sphinx Chat, or Breeze Wallet apps. Stack them with some sats and start streaming a few my way. Sign up to Fountain and you'll get 2,000 sats straight off the bat to start your podcasting 2.0 journey. Believe me when I say this is the future. Log on to fermentingplace.com for more info on ways you can show your support for the show and enable the sustainable production of quality ground-up listener-led content creation. At the very least, please do me a solid and click that subscribe follow button and like, share, or leave a comment so that you're the first to know when a new episode drops and so that more and more people can grow their know about the important co-ferment of people and place. Right, so with intros and a little bit of light chilling now firmly behind us, please listen, like, share, subscribe, and enjoy. Episode 38 of the Fermenting Place podcast featuring Yoko and Andres from Brave New Wine in Denmark, Western Australia. I'm speaking with Andres and Yoko Mostet, uh from Brave New Wine in the great southern region of Western Australia. How you doing, guys? G'day, Daniel.
0: Good, thanks. Yourself?
1: Very well, thanks. Uh, we were chatting a little bit off air about the weather, and um, you mentioned that it was humid at the moment, uh, a little bit uh, wet, shall we say, over, uh, over where you guys are at
0: yeah sure, we've um, had this year a very wet winter, certainly the wetter since we've been here, which is about uh, 14 years now, I think this year. Um, but talking to uh, locals, you know it's probably at least thirty years since it's been this wet. Um, and that's kind of continued on a little bit into spring with sort of consistent uh, regular rainfall. So it's nice to finally get some sunny days, but as, as the sun's coming out, the humidity is also cranking up a bit. Uh, but that's reasonably typical for Denmark. You know, we're only five kilometres from the ocean where we are, so
1: humidity is a factor. Well, it's a bit like now in the Hunter, actually. it's It's been pouring with rain over the last 24, 48 hours, and um, – it, it it sometimes feel once the once the actual precipitation um, resides, it's just this this heat, and so it feels like you're in, yeah. um, you know, somewhere in Southeast Asia, in Thailand or something, but without the yeah. access to the, the water, ready access to the water. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, and on <laughs> holidays with my ties. Um, yeah. <laughs> but,
0: um, yeah. So La Nina is having an effect, effect over there. Hopefully. Not as heavy as it was in, what was that, 2011? 11, yeah, that's right. I think
1: that was the, uh, everybody calls that the vintage from hell. <laughs> so that, yeah, yeah, you're right, actually, that was a La Nina event. We've switched over the last few years from El Nino to La Nina, which is, which is always an interesting um, transition. And, you know, it kind of brings on those wetter vintages, particularly here in the Hunter,
0: um, which we're yeah, uh, used to. Yeah, that was that was pretty extreme with the floods and carry on. I remember born in two thousand eleven, the day he was born, I went and bought the newspaper which I've still got in the front front page was all the, the flooding and carrying on. Yeah, yeah true. In Queensland.
1: Yeah. Well I was in I was in London at the time, actually, um when when that was all occurring. And I was watching that all on the news unfold from a safe distance in Chiswick. Um so i never really got to experience it but i got to experience some of the wines coming out of the vintage 2011 and you know this is a you can you can paint with a broad brush and write off 2011 as a as a rubbish year um, only if you're taking into account a wine from southeastern australia but if you're talking about individual yeah. producers um, that are on their game and know how to handle such an event um, you know i tasted some cracking wines avani cup Comes to mind, yeah. Um, and and there's, yeah, some, uh, no, yeah. You know, and James Erskine and his Yalma stuff. Um, so, yeah. G- Gary Mills jam sheet, yeah. Plenty of 2011s that were delicious.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's difficult to make generalisations like that. But um, anyway, hopefully it's not that extreme this year. Uh, uh, it looks like it's going to be challenging. Yeah, fingers
1: crossed. Andres just uh, there was just a little bit of break up there. I don't know what's is is it maybe if you're getting too close to the mic or too far away. I'm not sure depending on i yeah,
0: will try to stay still.
1: <laughs> try to stay still.
2: Bruce tends to
1: look around as he's talking. No, I see. That's fair enough. That's cool. Um I got I got a microphone. I got to talk into So It's all good. I wanted to chat a little bit about um, a brief history of brave new wine and get to know what the, the brands about and what you guys are about. But before we do that, I've got a bit of a confession to make, you know, how in the early two thousands, when the strokes arrived on the scene, um, and it started this whole garage rock revival trend. Yeah. And all the bands were named the, they, you know, there was the, the, the strokes and the white stripes, the vines, the libertines. Um, and, you see that playing out all the time, particularly in music. Um, but I started to notice it a little bit when I became interested in wine seriously, I guess around 2010, 11, thereabouts. Um, and that was kind of at the start, I guess, of the, the, the modern era of natural wine. And there was all these producers knocking about, like Yama and Jam Sheet, uh, Lucy Margot, all these Australian producers. And yeah. a few years later, the whole scene was just a, a wash with these, um, you know, neo-natural winemakers. And yeah. I was sort of observing this from a distance and just thinking you've got like the, the people with, 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 that seem to have good intent that were there from the start, you know, you can never knock the strokes for starting that because yeah. they've got that first mover advantage. Um, sure. And so I always thought that, um, and this is going to sound horrible. I always thought that brave new wine were <laughs> kind of like Johnny come lately bandwagon chases, right? I told you this was going to sound horrible um, yeah.
0: No.
1: <laughs> because there was this kind of fledgling gap in the market being filled by bearded hipsters and, you know, chicks in broad brimmed hats from Melbourne and that sort of thing. And, and, and I, and I kind of, you guys weren't alone in that there was a bunch of other producers as well but what's happened and, and I think because we chatted in 2016 about pet Nats, and I wrote an article for holiday magazine and that was kind of around the time when pet Nats were getting a little bit of traction in trendy wine bars and things like this but nowhere near as much popularity as it's yeah. got now you guys were mm-hmm. you were on that and what I what I have to confess and what I have to apologize for is that I was misguided, I misjudged, therefore I was wrong, and I'm sorry. I think your wines are incredible, and I take back everything I ever thought or said uh, <laughs> in relation to your brand. Uh, look,
2: um apology not accepted, <laughs> the interview is over.
1: This is the shortest episode <laughs> of Fermenting Place ever. Sorry guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Joking. Uh, no, look. I, I guess you know um, our journey is is what it is, and it, it's been our journey, and we've kind of done what we done what we've done for our own reasons, mm. um, and we've kind of you know we're pretty comfortable with that. Um, and yeah, as far as the timing goes, certainly those early guys that um, broke the ground, you know, the natural selection theory guys in particular, with um, mm-hmm. Yama and Simago and um, Tom Shawbrook, Sam know, Hughes. And Sam and the Hot Pants. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I actually know Anton a little bit. He was a year above me at, at uni. And um, I was quite good friends with James at one stage as well. So, you know, certainly seeing what they were doing was inspirational to us. And, you know, kind of we'd started fooling around, making some wines, but not really intending to sell them. It was more just as a uh, for ourselves and friends and family. Um, but then when, when we did decide to try and sell some wine, you know, we're like, oh, you know, check out what these guys are doing. You know, they're making wine in their shed and they're fermenting things In barrels with the heads taken out, and you know they're hitting the streets themselves in hot pants and Mm. skipping around and selling the wine, and you know they're successful. And um,
2: and it looks like so much fun as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that was that's definitely gave us some more courage to do do what we do. Um,
2: I think at the same time we're so far away, though. You know, we're we're. five and a half, six hours drive south of Perth, which a lot of people don't realise how isolated we are here. And especially when we started, it was kind of, you know, just at that time of social media really taking off and, mm-hmm. um, you know, being able to use that to, to build connections and see what people are doing in South Australia and, um, you know, keep up with wine bars in Melbourne, places that we'd never heard of before. Um, so... I think, in a lot of ways, we, although you know those trails were already blazed for us, um, <clears throat> we did kind of have to march to the beat of our own drum a little bit as well, just you know for the pure fact that we're so far away.
1: Well, I think you've absolutely done that. I mean, you you the fact that you're still putting out wines in 2021. I mean, I can name you know, and I won't. <laughs> I've already called out one label on this podcast. Um, but a number of labels that started up and disappeared as quickly as they appeared because they you know probably were trying to um tap into this fledgling markets in a similar way to what you see in the craft beer scene you know um they they see that there 's people out there that you know they 've got a bit of capital um and and they can they can throw money around to try and build up some sort of instant brand and then um okay. and then you know sort of wring that whole thing dry, co-opt it and just make it terrible. Um, yeah. But you guys obviously weren't doing that. You guys, I just got the wrong end of the stick. And I think the thing that's impressed me over the years when I've, whenever I've tasted your wines is that they've just been so damn delicious um, and striking. The, the labels are something that I want to talk to you guys about because they're just so cool. Um, but before we get there, I guess... Give us a brief history about how you all came about because, yeah, you, you've you got this trail, say, blazed for you, but it's one thing to have a, a, a trail blazed for you. It's another to actually um, put a stake in the ground and, and convince yeah. a sommelier or a wine bar owner or a you know a, a bottle shop owner that in a world awash with these natural wines and these lo-fi wines, why should I put yours on the shelf? And... Um, you know you've convinced yeah. lots of people to do that clearly
2: we've, yeah we've we've had um we have had some fortunate sort of um help along the way we we both worked in hospitality sort of beforehand and just sort of by pure chance had new people at the beginning that worked in hospitality um you know like worked um worked in Melbourne in wine bars and stuff, Uh, my best mate's brother, for example, you know, so we could send him a six-pack of wine when we first started and he sort of got the ball rolling over there. Just as an example, you know, so we kind of luckily knew some people in the industry to get a foot in the door. Mm -hmm. So that that really helped at the beginning. And, of course, again, you know, social media, Instagram was free and we're happy to make dickheads of ourselves Mm -hmm. on Instagram and that seems to... (laughs) Get Uh, people's attention.
0: If we just go back a step, kind of in the history and, you know, I'll try to keep it reasonably short. But um, So I found my way into wine reasonably late. Um, I actually, um, you know, my parents came over from South Africa in the early 80s in the sort of first mining mining boom. Um, So I was very fortunate to uh, grow up in Perth and, my dad had a, a business connection with Dennis Horgan who owns uh, Lewin Estate, so we, when I was a teenager, we were able to go down and stay um, on the property at Lewin Estate, and wow. you know, I just thought, how good is this, this is, imagine being able to live and work in a place like this, you know, Margaret River is a stunningly beautiful place, and you know, that was back in the 80s before it sort of got turned into wine, Disneyland a little bit now. but. Um, you know, and th- that's kind of where I really fell for it. I think initially, but the, I I didn't really realize. Um, you know, I actually started arch- studied architecture when I left school, and um, that um, kind of did, didn't end up going anywhere. Um, and I went traveling, came back, had to pay off all my debt, so started working in hospitality, and then sort of got interested in wine from that end. Ended up running a bottle shop, um, got reasonably quickly and uh, one day it just cracked the shit with my <laughs> bottle shop job and um, packed up my dogs and my girlfriend at the time and um, uh, drove to Margaret River the next kind of week basically and went knocking on doors to try and find a job and I was very fortunate. It was just leading into vintage, but I managed to get a job at Mosswood, um, and, you know, that was in the days of, of uh, heavy expansion in Mud River, so there was lots of work going on. So I ended up working on the vineyard there at Mosswood uh, for a year. Um, you know, we re the whole vineyard, but we also um, uh, planted quite a few um, other vineyards around Margaret River sort of as consultants, um, And then kind of, you know, after a year doing that, I just realised, you know, this is really what I want to do. Um, and Keith Mugford, his owner Mosswood, you know, I was having a chat to him and he said, look, you know, if it's really what you want to do um, and you don't want to dig holes for someone else for the rest of your life, you need to go and get qualified. So uh, I applied to go to Adelaide Uni um, and was lucky to get in. And, uh, all gone from there and like Yoko said, we've been really fortunate with kind of content, uh, that have helped us, you know, this business is all about relationships I've been lucky to um, relationships with people who have helped me and guided me and connected me to others um, which is really part of getting us along to where we are and um, but then I ended up, so I spent a bit of time um like Adelaide was amazing. I love adelaide a great place to be a student um I was very lucky. I went and saw Stephen George up at Ashton Hills, and um he got me a bit of work on the vineyard, just pruning, and I used to hang out with him and talk about wine and he's a a very great man and uh somebody I think of a lot um Especially in regards to making wine. You know, he was the first kind of first guy, because you know, studying winemaking and learning about all the technical things. But I was talking to him one day, it was it was raining buckets up there. So we were set um sitting in the cellar door and we were tasting his Pinot. And I I was asking him about the pH of his Pinot. Look, I smashed my pH meter a long time ago, and it's the best thing I ever did. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, because now I don't worry about the pH of my wines anymore, um, you know. And then those kind of things sort of started setting off little sparks in my brain about. I was, you know, lucky enough to spend uh, three three and a half years all up um, up in the Hunter at Brokenwood, which is an amazing experience. It seems like um, it seems
1: like everybody um, that goes that comes to do a vintage in the Hunter comes through Brokenwood. It's. Uh it's like a rite of passage or something. It's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, well, they they kind of take themselves very seriously as kind of, um, you know, tutoring and uh, bringing young people up through the industry. Um, And, you know, they do it really well. You know, you work really hard and you learn lots of things um, and you get to taste some amazing wine and eat some amazing food and get looked after really well. It was... uh, you know I went there for my vintage experience and ended up staying for three and a half years. So that's how good it was. Yeah, wow. Wow. Yeah. And then also, you know, I did a stint with um Sean Smith as well. Um and you know both those places very they come from a very sort of technical winemaking um, you know the Brian Crozer sort of winemaking system, but it's all very technical. Um, I spent a couple of years working for Piketty in Pemberton for the family, panel family. Worked for Plant and then we moved back to WA, worked for Plantagenet for four years mm-hmm. um, with John Durham and then ended up um, working at a place called Willoughby Park here in here in Denmark. And um, we didn't in the meantime we had sort of reconnected with a dad of an old school friend of mine who owned a little uh, vineyard here. Um, in Denmark, and he was getting on a bit, and um, he asked us to help him sort of look after the vineyard and make some wine, but, you know, he'd never sprayed anything on that vineyard. He didn't want to use any chemicals. He wanted to make wine kind of sort of natural. And we're like, wow. So, yeah, you know, kind of we grew the grapes. We uh, bought a little basket press. We... um, fermented some Chardonnay, um, and, you know, had a couple of barrels of wine, but never really expected to, uh, to sell it, you know. It was really just for ourselves and friends and family, and the whole idea was just to see what happens when you kind of do the opposite of what you get taught at winemaking school. Um, you know, so we we kind of actively kind of broke all the rules of what I'd be doing in my day job. Um And then we got our hands on a couple of other parcels of fruit and we started doing some skins ferments and that kind of thing. But, again, not really intending to ever sell it. And then I actually uh, it was made redundant uh, quite suddenly Um, and it actually happened twice, (laughs) twice in 18 months with wineries shutting down.
2: And And, um, just sorry to interrupt, we'd... um, we also had two small kids at this stage, so a newborn and a and a toddler Damn. during first the first, uh, the first um, redundancy. Yeah, uh, mortgage. new
1: mortgage. Yeah. That sucks. That that would have been so shit. <laughs> yes,
2: yes, it was. It was really shit. It was yeah. a really shit time. Uh, you know, we didn't know if we'd have to sell our house and, you know, if we could stay in Denmark because um, by that stage, you know, my parents had even moved to Denmark because, you know, the grandkids kind of a- attract mm-hmm. the the grandparents um, and we wanted to stay here. You know, we'd put roots down here and we are keen to stay. So we were all in with Brave New Wine sort of from that point, um, which meant... Andreas had to sell his car so we could buy glass to do that first bottling, um, you know, to pay for labels as well. I think we started off with, I don't know how much you got for that car, like 20 grand or something. And then, yeah, it was, it, it was, a, awesome. it was a great
0: car. I Necessity is
2: the
1: mother of all invention though. So it sounds like it, it was a bit of a kick in the, kick up the bum to yeah. to get started on this new project that was yours and no yeah. one else's.
2: Yeah. We would have ever done otherwise, you know, we probably would have been carrying on just as we were. Andres working for sort of more um, commercial winemaking roles, um, you know, and and life would have just ticked on. But it was um, really a matter of a door closing and a window opening and we just zoomed out the window.
0: Yeah. And I guess getting back to what you were saying before, so Brave New Wine was never driven by wanting to jump on the bandwagon. It was driven by us just doing what we had to do to survive. You know, we we did get an opportunity to maybe move to Margaret River and, you know, Margaret River is still beautiful um, and there's great wines from over there. But, you know, Denmark is a stunning place and, um, you know, we really didn't want to move and I prefer the, the wines from the Great Southern um, personally. So we kind of just decided to dig in and say, oh, look, you know, we've got these couple of barrels of wine. Let's sell my car and buy some labels and some bottles and see if we can sell it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, then, you know, and it was really nerve wracking at first. You know, this first Chardonnay that we made, the first cluster Clusterfunk, um, mm-hmm. you know, it was pretty wild. Um, it, it was pretty funky, which is, you know, why I was called a funk, partly. Um, so kind of coming to terms with that, you know, coming from a sort of very technical winemaking um, sort of experience, you know, with, like I said, Sean Smith and, and Brokenwood, you know, I kept thinking, oh, man, what would those guys think if, <laughs> if they tasted wine? Um, you know, because it was just so out of that um, kind of what I, um, what would be acceptable at a place like that, you know? Um, and we, we we nearly tipped our wine down. Yeah, we were standing. Yeah, right.
2: I remember the moment. We we're standing there um, at the bottler, and mm-hmm. um, you know, ready to go. Just the two of us, ready to start bottling. And we looked at each other and said, oh, should we really bottle this? <laughs> should we?" Do-? I'm like, fuck it. Yeah, we think it's delicious. Let's bottle it. So we did. And yeah. um and that wine actually got a um Gary Walsh gave it a really good write up on yeah. on the wine front, um, which was amazing. I remember that moment. I think Andreas was in Perth at a tasting and I texted him and got like, I can't even remember, ninety-two points or something and it was just like, Wow, this is so cool. Like yeah, it was um really validating moment, yeah. I think, you know, that yeah. we can trust our own sort of um Taste buds in a way. Definitely. You know, we thought it was delicious and, um, you know, hopefully that means that other people, some people will find it delicious as well. Yeah. yeah. We weren't sure
0: about the wine. It was pretty edgy, you know. It kind of had a little bit of that sort of cidery, almost kind of white bread kind of funk. And, and you know, I was still trying to deal with letting go of, of a lot of that sort of technical wine stuff. And, uh, but what we did is we, we brought a bottle home and we kind of, you know, we drank the whole bottle. And the more of it we drank, we, more we thought, you know what, this is delicious. We're going to bottle it. We're going to put it out in the universe and, you know, it'll, um, it'll be what it is. And if people don't like it, that's fine. But if other people do, then that's awesome. And, um, uh, you know, go on that journey with us. It's so um, cool. So that,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of how it started. And then, um you know, Yoko, is, is, is she's definitely the creative one. She does all the labels, but she also, um, she's pretty funny. And oh, pretty it, it, your Instagram's <laughs> out of control. Um, <laughs> I, I was so curious.
2: Like, I've got, I've got a, a guy who's willing to get his ass out whenever I, um, well, not whenever I ask him, but, you know, <laughs> one time out of ten when I ask him. <laughs> um,
0: she, so she, you
2: know.
0: she, she actually came up with a name. Brave new wine, you know, when we were kind of throwing those things around. And initially I was like, well, oh, it's a bit naff, you know. I don't know if it's particularly brave or new what we're doing. And um but it's it's you know, I, I had learned by then to sort of put a fair bit of faith in in Yoko's kind of ideas. Um so we kinda of went with it and it's kind of really grown on me since then because it really st- stops us from doing things that are kind of boring and normal, you know, because yeah, yeah. Then, then then we'd really look stupid if we call brand new wine and we make wine like everybody else, you know. So that kind of really pushes us every year to think of of new things to do or new methods to try or new styles of wine. And that's kind of how when we made that first pet now in two thousand and 14, I think, you know, kind of at the time, hardly anybody was doing it. And we're like, oh, let's do this. No one's doing this. Um, and yeah. You know, there were very few people, um, especially in Australia, doing pit mats And then it kind of sort of exploded after that. Well, definitely. Um, I know, mean, who doesn't like fizzy wine? It's
1: all good. I know, right? Like, well, I can, I, I can think of a couple of people um, <laughs> that don't show very well in wine shows. You know what's yeah. cool though, um, you you did the whole like went to Adelaide Uni and, and no disrespect to that kind of that Roseworthy style course, it's very technically driven. Uh, sure, and I'm yeah. sure it's probably changed a lot in the last few years but you kind of had to unlearn a hell of a lot of your training and then that training would have been then re- reinforced at places like Broken Wood and Short Smith and so on. And then you've come and you've done essentially the antithesis of all of that. And you, you, I kind of think of like, um, like if you are a, a musician that's classically trained, and then all of a sudden you just you have this yearning to go to some New York night spot to play jazz, and you sort of unlearn all of that stuff. You take the basics, but then that just gives you the freedom to just just run off and explore the possibilities with with you know this this new yeah. Uh, medium of jazz, say, um, and that's kind of where I where I see you guys as brave new wine is, because you know you were kind enough to send me more than a few bottles of, of of your latest release, and I've been trying to get through them, and I say try like like it's some sort of effort. I mean, it's been an effortless task. Let's be honest. But yeah. what struck me is that like there's all these different um, labels, different bottles, different styles. And then you've, you, you do things like this um, – well, I don't think you sent that, but I bought this a couple of weeks ago. It was um, um, Glitter Us. I want to make sure I say that properly. Um, the, the, the Pet Nat Vermentino. Like that, I haven't seen a Vermentino with Pet Nat uh, made in a Pet Nat style yet, and I've been begging someone around here in the Hunter to make one, and they, they won't. So I was like, awesome. And, um, you know, the, the red and white blend that you made – uh, as well I'm just trying to find it here yeah. Yeah. Small, town. small town man like that was outrageously that that was drunk in about 15 minutes I reckon um, and you know because I a couple of years ago when my wife and I got married I asked a buddy of mine to help me make a wine for the wedding and, and I said oh it'd be really cool if we could get some shiraz and some semillon and some um, vadello and just blend that all together and he's like, red and white together? I don't know about that. And I was like, it doesn't matter. It's like it's just I want, I want a red wine, but I want it to have acidity and sweetness. So those two things seem to work, right? And, he's, and he went, went away and we made the blend up. But I haven't seen another wine like that until this small town. And it literally reminded my wife and I of our wedding wine uh, from a few years ago. And, um, yeah, you, you just must have been able to unlearn all of that technical stuff and now you've as you said, with the, the the name of the label pushes you to try these new things. So like that cluster funk, was it the shot ch- it was a Chardonnay, but did it have a whole bunch
2: Chardonnay. in it? Whole yeah.
1: bunch, yeah. Yeah. whole bunch. Okay, right. So yeah, yes. so so what are you doing? What's the remit? Are you just experimenting for experimenting's sake? And what's your um strike rate? Are you tipping more out than you would like? Or Uh-oh. like how how does that all play out?
2: Yeah, I mean, things, things do go wrong, for sure. Um, no. know, oh, yeah, sorry. No, they no. never go wrong. <laughs> Everything's fine. Um,
1: perfect every time.
2: Uh, can I tell the petnat story? Oh, we've got to yeah, talk sure. a talk about petnat stories, yeah. actually. One of the first petnats that we made, um, the glass didn't turn up on time and, you know, petnat's pretty time sensitive. You have to bottle at just the right time, otherwise it'll be too flat or too fizzy. Um, so it's got a sweet spot and the glass didn't turn up. So Andres put it in a, um, a chilled, what's it yeah, called? A, a, a container. Yeah, a chilled container. Mm-hmm. And uh, somehow, who knows how this happened, but it was set to mm-hmm. minus 30 degrees or something ridiculous. So by the time Andres came back. You know, we're all in a bottle. We're set up. We've got some yeah. backpackers waiting to help us. You've got an ice block. And, you know, and the baby's strapped in the pram. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a giant
0: well, pet. I, I, I
2: yeah, know,
0: ice block. Yeah, oh, pet nautical. Oh man. Yeah. Right. Shamed myself because I'm like, well, it's a natural ferment. I've just frozen it. There's no way it's going to start fermenting again. Um, but you know, it's just one of those things. I let it thaw out, and I kind of. You know, the next day I had some ticking sounds, and uh, I thought, "Well, that's pretty good." And mm-hmm. um, and uh, I that was a this yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the kind of winemaking kind of happens organically in a way, and it's kind of the the lo-fi nature of it is kind of mostly driven by the fact that we we didn't have a lot of gear. You know, the the yeah. first wines. Were made in the back shed, mm. you know, um, and we we didn't even uh, we only had extremely basic gear, you know. So things were fermented on skins because it's very difficult to press fresh grapes um, with you know um, only a little basket press. But if you ferment the skins, then it's much easier to press. Um, and, you know, natural ferments is certainly something we wanted to do. And like all our wines have always been 100% natural fermented. You know, we've never added a grain of yeast or anything. And that's kind of, I guess, the driving philosophy is just to not add anything except a little bit of sulfur. So, you know, 100% natural ferments, no acid, no enzymes, no fining agents, no filtration, only a little bit of sulfur. Um, but, uh, yeah, a lot of it is kind of... Driven by what we can and can't do at the time, you know. And um, this is this year was actually the first year we've even had any access to refrigeration. So um, you know, everything had to be fermented in small batches so they wouldn't get too hot. Um, and before this year, everything was pressed in a little manual basket press. Right. Um, I, and even the the other pet nat stories we. Um, I think it was just the next year yeah, we, 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 we we had a fit now, and we, you know, we were literally, we had no money. We were so poor. And so a lot of it's driven by that as well, by, um, you know, kind of being able to do what we can at the time. So.
2: <laughs> and it's the two of us as well. You yeah, know, we can't hire anyone to help. I come
0: I, um, home, um, yeah, and I had this tank of. Um, the wine that was going to be the pet nat and I, I'd put it on the back of my tapped out old ute and reversed down the driveway and we waited for the kids to go to sleep. And then we were gradually filling the bottles, you know, off the back of the ute, um, you know, so we were basically sitting on the ground in the right. driveway. It started raining. Before in the, the morning. The,
2: the
0: wine was a little bit mousy. Oh, I, was so, I was
2: going, what no. the fuck is the point? Yeah. It's mousy, this shit wine. We've just spent a $1,000 on bottles. You know, oh, it was the worst night of my life, yeah, perfectly. but it all came <laughs> out okay. It was fine. The you know, mousiness uh, went away, and the wine was delicious, and it turned fizzy. And, um,
1: yeah, here we are. It reminds me of, yeah. um, I think it was episode 13 maybe with Tom and Sally from uh, from Boba, how they were traveling through yeah. France, and they we're just seeing these people make wines in their back shed and they're all like, well, shit, we could do that, you know, at home. Why can't we do that? And that's yeah. that kind of necessity, mother of invention type thing. And, you know, I guess you get, you get a sense that if, you, if you're going to make a wine, you're going to start a label, you have to have, you know, a tank farm and you've got to have refrigeration, you've got to do this, that, mm. and the other and spend all this money. And you actually don't, you know.
0: Um, yeah. Um I've certainly been part of the journey as well, you know, because when we first started telling people that we were kind of starting our own label and the way we are going to do it, you know, especially my sort of winemaking friends were like, oh, you can't do that. You don't have any tanks. You don't have any refrigeration. You know, it's, a, it's going to be a disaster. But kind of by then we were pretty determined and stubborn enough to just go, well, you know what, we reckon we can do it. We are.
2: Yeah. 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 And like I said,
0: we were very fortunate with timing. So, um, you know, Yoko did designs and paints all the labels. um, And we did, uh, both of us through sort of working in hospitality, have quite a few contacts, especially in Melbourne at the time and in Sydney as well. And in Adelaide. and you know, the, the the wine the sort of retail hospital side of the wine industry at the time, um, it was very active on social media. You know, so social media's been huge for us, especially Instagram, you know, we made so many connections and contacts mm. and you know, eventually sales through Instagram, basically just by kind of putting ourselves out there and um you know, not being afraid to take the piss out of ourselves. (laughs) and So that was, you know, the timing of that, because there's no way we could have afforded to pay for advertising, you know, so the timing of that was brilliant. And then just the sort of massive taking off of the small bar scene, you know, kind of all around the country, you know, kind of small kind of wine bars are a big part of our sales base. Um so there was kind of just
1: a whole bunch of things that came together all at the same time, and popularity of sort of more minimal, minimal intervention style lines. Yeah, well I mean that it was like a it was almost like a confluence of 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 events and you see you see that throughout history. Um and I, I kind of always tend to use musical analogies because it's kind of where I'm at, but Um, I, you know, that last decade, say 2010 to 2020, that whole Australian wine scene was just turned on its head and, um, it was incredible to be witness to that and to, to some extent be like a, an intimate observer, shall we say, of, of all of that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, you guys came along at the right time in the right place when the energy was high and arguably still is, um although there's a hell of a lot more um i guess new kids on the block as it were um but you've you've stayed ahead by just keep pushing the pushing the progression and um and doing these things like you know red and white blends and you know a whole bunch of white wine ferments and things it, it, it just it, it just makes for an incredibly delicious and enjoyable drink um, and it's not something that I have to think a heck of a lot. I just know that if there's one of those wines in the fridge, like I don't even have to impress people with it because it's, it's just going to be drunk and it's going to be empty within, you know, the hour. Um,
2: and that's yeah. always a sign that's of good yeah. wine. Yeah.
0: yeah. So that's the whole idea, you
2: know, it's like
0: kind of, we want to make wines for the people and try and keep them affordable. So, you know, you can just grab a bottle off the shelf without putting too much thought into it. And to make something that's just yeah, or interesting or even exciting to drink, you know, kind of um, – and and that's kind of the, the best part of that whole thing taking off is just the choice. You know, it's never going to be the mainstream. Uh, commercial wine is always going to be the main thing. But, you know, it's, I think, just so good that there's so much choice now for people to drink different kinds of wine. And, you know, we're well aware that what we do is never going to be for everyone, but hopefully – enough people kind of get excited by drinking bottles of our wine that they, they keep coming back. And we certainly every year we try to think of new things or different things or fun things, um, you know, and it, comes, it becomes a little bit harder every year to come up with new things. You know, we don't want to yeah. be
1: gimmicky. Well,
0: I was going to say, um,
1: like, you've you got to be careful not to do novelty for novelty's sake. Otherwise you yeah. might become pastiche- is that the right word? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And we,
2: yeah. We, are you not um, making piquette? <laughs> oh,
0: <yeah. Oop. laughs> Calm down here. <laughs> are we, are uh, we railing uh, on piquettes? Yeah, he is. I'm not.
2: Nah, no, no, it's
0: fine. I just, uh, I, I feel no urge to make one. That's all. You're not going to yeah, make one. Have... It's the new hipster diesel.
1: You know, it's um. Yeah, uh, next year, line. man. Yeah, yeah. Man.
2: lock it in, lock it in. We'll do it. I'll talk him around. It's all good. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, and and look, we've we've actively tried to not make any new, bring out any new wines uh, the last sort of year or so. But we, sometimes we just can't help ourselves. Like we come across, um, you know, some fruit or an interesting, um, uh, an interesting ferment that looks really good that we can't sort of bare to blend into something else so and that's sort of quite often how then you you know we see something um that we like the look of and we and we go with it but we're also not attached to you know a lot of these wines they might not appear again you know it might be just a yeah vintage things so mm-hmm. we're lucky in that respect as well because we don't have any you know marketing guy telling us what we should and shouldn't do we can sort of just um fly by the seat of our own pants um yeah. make our own call in that regard and uh, that's well like
1: up to truly an ephemeral um project most of the time um uh, that, so that the kind of I mean, with all of these wines and ones that are maybe one offs and, and things like this and never to be repeated again, the detail and the depth and the and the the just the sheer artistry of these labels, they're just a joy to look at actually. Um and thanks. Yeah, you know, you're very welcome because they are they're absolutely a joy to look at and have in your fridge or on the table. And um I guess a traditional business would say um, let's not put too much time in new labels and things like this. So what's the trade-off there in terms of coming up with, say, a wine that you can't bear to part with so you want to bottle it but then you have to go to the trouble of finding, you know, um, you know, obviously the label and the artwork and even the screw caps match the um, the dominant colours of the actual labels themselves. So, you know, I can imagine that would... Have a bit of a cost to it, and and I guess you've justified it. You've decided it's worth it.
2: Well, luckily I'm not paid, so um, (laughs) you know the artwork's free basically for the business.
1: Um, Well, that's um, come on, Andres. That's 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 not. I mean, that's not fair. I
2: know, right? It's illegal. Uh, uh, I'm not
1: not sure sure. if that's 100 correct. um, A few bucks here and there. Just keep on, keep going.
0: I think for Fige- Coco doing the labels, I, I don't think she sees as, as a chore. Although um, sometimes, sometimes when she's got like twenty labels to
2: do at the same
0: time, but for her, it's um, it's, it's exciting. You know, she's she a, she, she's a frustrated artist. Yeah, and it's, it's um, her yeah, well, uh, to kind of get her art out there in a way. You know, so it's more like if, if we're talking about a new one, she's excited about. Yeah. Art
2: coming up with the concept and the name um you know that's that that's what i froth on really like that that side of it like um coming up with a kind of like a, a character or a persona for each wine and yeah. then you know the, that matches and the color scheme sort of um thinking about who will be drinking it as well like who where's this wine going to be drunk is it going to be shared with people how is the you know, is the conversation going to flow as well as the wine, you know, that, that kind of thing really flowed to my boat. So it's, um, to be honest, that's a pleasure. That's what I'm sort of in it for. And I'm just, I'm really grateful that I can have that sort of creative outlet within this business because, you know, if Andres was a, I don't know, an accountant, like, you know, I wouldn't have this this outlet, um, which is really, you know, art's my, my jam and... Um, yeah, I just feel really lucky that this is like my job. Or, you know, old jokes aside, saying that I don't get paid for it, it is it is my job. Um, well, I, you'd, you'd
1: be an incredibly unique uh, an account an an incredibly unique accountancy business, uh, yeah. and certainly and would yeah. make the whole process it, that it. more enjoyable um, to engage yeah. with. So, you know, any accountants listening, maybe consider some brighter coloured uh, manila folders. Um, oh yeah. yeah, rainbows, rainbow folders. Rainbow yeah. folders all day. I mean, this is the thing. So the, the rainbows that you have on some of these labels, my favourite actually uh, of the suite that you've sent is this Mates and Lovers. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I just just adore the, the, the pic of all those nude people just hanging out <laughs> drinking wine in this cluster of, uh, of hearts. But, you know, does, does the label name like the, does the name of the wine come before the the artistry that's attached to it or like how does that go because they do fit with one another. like the rude boy that just stuck yeah. black and white with the cassette tapes and that sort of 80s 90s vibe It's yeah. just rad yeah um, the the name generally comes
2: first yeah, yeah. Rude, where
0: Come up with a smartest, funniest, cleverest name, yeah. And I'm way
2: better at it. I come up with the great names, (laughs) the great names, but um, yeah. And I mean, the other thing is, I do a new label for each wine every vintage, so I get to sort of do another take, you know. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that they sort of get better every year, and I'm sort of picturing, I don't know, like, say, the um, the. The mates and lovers. I've done two of those labels so far, and the first one was, you know, it was pretty good. But this, the last one, um, I've started adding actual people that we know on the label. Yeah. So um, you know, there might be some familiar faces if you take a yeah. close look. Uh, Andres there with his twenty twenty lockdown bleached mullet. He's in there <laughs> drinking a can of Inu. Um
0: well, maybe like a couple
2: of mine, other um, couple wine of personalities submitting. you might recognise. Yeah, uh, and uh, I'm open for submissions as well. If someone wants to add be added to the next mates and lovers label, they just need to send me a couple of nudes, and uh, away I'll go.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the small town. My, um, I was I was putting the ways in the fridge, and my mum my wife, God, uh, she said, um, that there, it looks like a sort of like a where's Wally type of, uh, illustration where you're supposed to find Wally on the, um, thing. And it looks like you've got like the Etamuga pub on there as well. Some sort of reference. Yeah. Is that
0: correct? Oh, uh, uh, not, uh, consciously, maybe
2: yeah, subconsciously. Um, font is quite
0: it's quite similar tonight, to, yeah, the pub.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, not you know, I sort of things. draw inspiration from, from all kinds of places, um, uh, there's another label that I do, the Nat Daddy, and that was inspired originally from my childhood 80s duna cover, you know, that sort of <laughs> really rad 80s pattern. Um, yeah, so I don't know. We're, we're all sponges, really, aren't we? Um, we're all just sort of uh, reflecting back what we yeah. take on in our lives. Not, um, not a
0: the uh, environment and the plants that grow around here. Yeah, yes, the natural world. We, yeah. Like, they actually call it the We've had rainbows, you know, mm. about seven pretty much year round. You know, uh, we have a lot of rainbows here
2: yeah, right. and uh, amazing
0: array of wild plants, big blue sky, bush and mountain.
2: And so, I think a lot of that
0: is um, a big part of the label inspiration as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, it'd be cool to, I mean, I suppose, considering that this is called Fermenting Place, um, to talk a little bit about the vineyards. It's generally what I do on this podcast, but um, I've got distracted by the labels and some of the other things, the winemaking technique and that. I guess also because, you know, you guys buy the vast majority of your fruit, right?
0: Yeah, so we, um, you know, from my kind of history working for um, sort of commercial wineries down here, I kind of got to know all the vineyards and uh, established some pretty good relationships with a lot of the growers. Um, So, I mean, we've always grown at least part of our um, fruit, so eventually that family friend of ours, we grew some Chardonnay and Merlot and kind of there was no pressure doing that, you know, so We did it um, with organic inputs only and it was fine, you know. We kind of, every year we managed to get the crop through uh, to harvest and we're like, well, it's not that hard to do it without using systemic chemicals or herbicides or pesticides or whatever. Um, And then there was a little Pinot, not far out of town, that we were kind of leasing and farming ourselves for a while. Um, and one of the vineyards we have been working with since the beginning um, is in the Prongraps, and it is what used to be called Zarafat Vineyard, um, and we'd sort of been getting fruit from there since the beginning, and it's became more and more, and last year we actually got all the fruit, and then um, they changed hands, and, and now we're leasing the vineyard and farming it ourselves, 100%. Um, but, yes, then, then we do also buy fruit from um, other people, um, you know, that we've got a lot of time for. And, um, you know, obviously what we do, like um, alternate varieties play a big part of what we do, you know, kind of it's, it's sort of part of that vibe of sort of um, our styles of wine. But also I think it's really interesting to see varieties like uh, Vermentino, you know, for instance, that are – Much better suited to our climate than some of the sort of uh, um, other varieties that were uh, prevalent in the early days, you know. So that's really fun to work with, but also things like Pinot Gris and Givets and and, uh, Tempranier and even like Cunois and Sanso. So So there's a grower like it's actually the Swinney's Vineyard in Franklin River, and they, you know, they're amazing people and an amazing vineyard. And, um, you know, when we were first asked to go and have a look at some fruit up there. I thought, oh, you know, that's not really our jam. It's um, you know, it's a pretty big, big commercial vineyard. Um, but um, uh, a friend of mine, Lee Hasgrove, was uh, um, a bit of culture of the stuff there, and said, no, look, you really need to come and have a look. You know, we're doing some really cool things, and um, you know, he was right. There's um, all the alternative varieties, some kind of new clones of um, Pinot and. Shiraz and Cabernet and Merlot and kind of and different farming techniques you know they do a lot of bush vines they do a lot of dry grown farming you know they're very open to us kind of having input in the way they find you know if we want them to not use systemics or do it full organic You know, so they have become a big part of what we do. Um, But, you know, the the dream always has been and still is to own our own vineyard, grow our own grapes, make our own wine. But, um, you know, that hopefully is still something that um, will come to fruition one day. But, um, you know, the opportunity hasn't really come, you know, mostly for financial reasons. Um, but yeah, it's certainly nice to have this have vineyard that we farm ourselves as well. Oh, and also okay. just because we, we can't get enough organic fruit, you know, there's just not enough people doing it um, down here. So the only way we can get enough organic fruit is pretty much by doing it ourselves, you know. And and to be honest, I'd much rather be out in the vineyard than in the cellar any day anyway. So that's kind of it. Make. That's when I come home with a big smile on my face is if I've had, you know, a long day in the vineyard. Yeah. Even a shitty job. You know, that's kind of what I got into winemaking for initially, you know, and, kind of, and I guess I came to a day one day when I was working for commercial wineries where, you know, I was sitting at a desk and I was wearing high viz and a hard hat and just punching out. The other nodes for other people to go and do the work in the cellar, and I thought, fuck, you know, that's not what I got into winemaking for. No, um, you know, I want to get dirty. I want to get my hands amongst it. I want to see what happens when we try different things, and and that's kind of how we started making those first wines. Was just as a antidote to commercial the realities of commercial winemaking, and you know, the way they kind of just have the fun out of everything. You know, I, we just wanted to bring the fun back. And then, you know, like we said before, um, that's kind of in and, and that's kind of becoming our main thing now. But it's, it's only, you know, I think less than two years since we were both still working for other people just because we had to to survive. But um, it, it's certainly pretty cool now that this is kind of all we're doing is brand new wine. Um, you know, I wake up in a cold sweat most nights, but <laughs> it's kind of fun. But so you um, never give um, that up because
1: you're—it's—it's it's yours. It's your—it's your baby. It's your thing, and uh, that's yeah, the trade-off, yeah. right? Is the, you, you go out on your own, you—you yeah—you you deal with all the cold sweats and everything like that. But at the end of the day, when you hit, you hit, and and you hit because you uh, did it, and um, no one can take that away from you. That's 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 what makes the world so fantastic. And bureaucrats have yeah. a heck of a lot to answer for. And, zapping the joy yeah. and fun out of things. And I think, yeah, yeah. where would we be without uh, an Andres and a Yoko, you know, like seriously?
0: Because even, you know, even if I haven't slept at night, I still bounce out of bed in the morning because I don't have to go and work for some someone who, you know, I'm dreading seeing that day or what I'm going to have to do or, or, you know, completing tasks and whatever. I, you know, I'm jumping out of bed because, um, you know, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. What we're going to do um, in yeah. the day, you know, kind of so uh, it gives us that freedom as well. Yeah, you know, lifestyle that, wise. Yeah, I mean, like
2: we can, um, you know, before Andres was working, you know, I don't know, eight in the morning till six at night. There was no opportunity to take kids to swimming lessons, mm. and you know, there was no sort of flexibility in that lifestyle. But now, um, you know, we can take a week off and go camping every now and then, yeah. you know. We still have to answer emails and send wine off and stuff. But, um, you know, still, at least we've got um, the option to sort of do things um, to our own rhythm, which is um, which is huge, you know, especially when you've got a family and um, you want to do things outside of your your job. Well, go go in the morning instead.
1: Exactly. What I've realised as time's gone on is that time – is arguably the most important thing. It's the scarcest resource we've all got to allocate each and every day. And um, you know, doing something that you love and that's that's your own, uh, as I said, it has these trade offs, but it 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 enables you to allocate your time so much better. And hanging out with your kids or as you said, like you could take your laptop camping with you, just bang out a few emails here and there and then you know get 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 to cooking something on the fire or whatever. It's it's the best. And you're in Western Australia. It's some of the best camping in the world um, over there. Oh, we're and so in, yeah yeah,
0: well, yeah. So especially where we are. So for people who don't know, Denmark is down on the very far south coast of WA near Albany's, kind of the biggest um, sort of city nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, five hours solid drive um, south of Perth but on, on the on the Southern Ocean. And, um, you know, we have countless amazing beaches that you can go to and, um, you know, there'll be nobody there and it'll be stunning and beautiful and it'll be somewhere to camp. So, yeah, certainly
1: very lucky. Well, this is glorious. And you said that you guys are about five clicks from the ocean where you guys are at, but uh, the uh, the majority of the vineyards around that region uh, are relatively close to the ocean. It's sort of like a Mediterranean sort of environment?
0: Yeah. Oh, look, the Great Southern is actually a massive region. It's yeah, the biggest geo so in Australia, I believe. Yeah, so it's huge. And it's, it's got five sub-regions. So there's um, Albany and Denmark, which are on the coast. So obviously the lowest, sorry, highest rainfall, but also the lowest sunshine hours due to sort of cloudiness. Um, and yeah, very, certainly very sort of Mediterranean, um, kind of high, pretty high rainfall, you know, Denmark long-term averages is about a thousand mils. Um, um, and then you go a little bit inland to Mount Barker. So a little bit warmer, uh, warmer days, colder nights, right. not as much influence from the sea breeze, uh, a little bit drier. Shout out to um, Mount Danny so- from Freehand. Yeah, that's right, Mandeni. Um And we um, and then you go across a little bit to the prongraps. So the prongraps—that's where um, our vineyard is—and um, the prongraps is a really special little place. So it's kind of—it's super ancient. It's not really mountain. You know, it only goes up to about sort of six fifty or six eighty meters, I think. Um, but it's really ancient. It's a billion years old. It's one of the oldest land formations on the planet. Um, and it's just like weathered granite over a billion years so the, the soils are super ancient and um, well-drained and really good for growing grapes. Um, and then the rocks kind of looks over to the Sterling Ranges, but there's a little bit of elevation there, so it's actually the coolest part of the Great Southern, um, and that's where all the, um, in my opinion, the best rieslings come from, you know, Castle Rock and Dukes. And, um, and, and a few others, mm-hmm. um, and it's got its own little sort of climate there, um, which is really special, I think, you know, and we're really lucky in WA uh, and here in the Great Southern. You know, what kind of excites me is opportunity to grow, grow grapes on their own roots, to uh, dry grow them, um, you know, that really appeals to me that kind of thing to, to let let them just be what they want to be. You know, we don't have to graft our grapes. And you can if you choose the right site, you can um, try to grow the grapes. You know, that for me is is exciting. Grape growing. Um uh, so you know, we kind of hope to wanna around there somewhere, but we'll see what happens. But then um, yeah, so then you go further inland again to Franklin River, so hotter again. Uh, Hotter days, but colder nights gets really cold at night. So, um, big diurnal variation are really good for Rieslings, you know, you think Franklin State um, and others. Um, So, it's a really diverse region. So, you can do everything from really kind of tight Rieslings and Chardonnay and Pinot. Um, to really full-bodied um, Shiraz and Cabernet, and even Grenache. You know, if you look at what and others are doing with Grenache in the Franklin River now. Um, so it's a really large and diverse region, and you can do almost anything if you pick the right spot.
1: You got um, you just—it's just paradise. I mean, I, I've been to Western Australia a couple of times in my life. Um, Never as a wine journalist though, so um, that's annoying. But uh, yeah. <laughs> but we'll, um, we'll, talk to our,
0: we'll talk to our marketing department and see if we
1: can get you over on your junket. You guys out. got a massive budget, yeah? You could you could flim yeah, over. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the only thing yeah. is, I'd run into um, you know trouble with your premiere uh, at the moment. Yeah, we yeah, uh, yeah. We have a
2: word with uh,
1: State Daddy. Yeah. yeah. if will let you in. Yeah. yeah. State Daddy, um, I. Well, <laughs> So I usually end these sorts of riffs with um, a series of questions that are not exactly related to what we've been talking about but kind of related. Um, And I'm wondering if I can fire them off to you guys.
0: Sure.
1: Now, you can take turns in answering them or you can answer both um, separately. I'd I'd, I'd probably like that, you know, because it's always good to get a little bit of insight as to um, what kind of music you guys are into and superheroes and stuff. So anyway, with that in mind... What do you least love about wine? Do
0: you want to go first, base? You go first.
2: Uh, I'll think a little
0: bit. You, you go first. I, but for me, and um, especially since um, the kids have come along, what I least like about it is how, how hard it is on families and relationships, especially at vintage time. Yeah. You know, they work really long hours, and it's tough, you know, and I hate I, I, when I go through a day and I don't get to see my kids. That kind of grates on me, and it's it's really tough on relationships. I mean, the amount of people that I know that have um, really good relationships have gone to dust because of that pressure of vintage. Um, you know, that's probably my least favourite thing is how demanding it can be at times. Fair play. What about you, Yoko?
2: Oh, look, um, I was going to say something really sort of flippant, but after Andres's really deep um, <laughs> answer there, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd have to agree. I think that's sort of the culture of um, presenteeism, which is sort of slowly um, hopefully sort of on the, on the out now. But, yeah, that, I still see that in a lot of our um, mates, like Andres is saying. Um, where they have to turn up to work and they have to work, you know, if the boss is there, then they're um, at work um, working ridiculous hours that they don't sort of um, get anything for um, necessarily missing out on a lot of um, family times and stuff. I think that's kind of, um, yeah, that's something that still bothers me. Um, The lack of uh, women in the industry as well, which probably... You know, I could go on a massive tangent about um, childcare and how expensive it is and how crap it is in this country. Definitely. Um, you know, uh, the fact that women sort of tend to drop out at the when they have babies and then they oftentimes struggle to sort of step back into their uh, previous roles, um, that really sucks. And I hope that can change. Um Yep. So I hope you men can get your shit together and start helping
1: us out a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing my best, man. I'm telling you. I mean, it's about community, right? And and having a network of people totally. around you to to su- support the things that you need to get done or want to get done. And um, you know, th- yeah, yeah. the modern age kind of tears us all apart, and 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 segregates this kind of like. You go to work, and in order to go to work, you have to drop the kids off here and get like a stranger to look after them and all sorts of stuff. And it's not—it's it's something that I've been, you know, running around in my head for the last few years since since my little one come along. And it's like, you know, you, you want to be present as much as possible. And I'm pretty fortunate with, with what I do. I'm I'm pretty much home most of the time, so I very lucky that I don't miss out on a heck of a lot yet. But yeah, I, I couldn't even yeah. imagine. Um, that at that at that point and vintage you know they talk about vintage widows because you just don't <laughs> see your other half for, for for god knows how long and if you're one of those wineries that is pulling in fruit from other states and stuff your vintage can go on for six months um, yeah that's right. sort of thing yeah. so it, it does 100 become difficult um yeah. that's probably the deepest answer i've had to that initial questioning ever on the on the for many place podcast i'm down with that what do you most love about wine?
2: Uh, community, absolutely, 100%. The idea that we can all sort of get together and um, share a bottle of wine, the, you know, uh, the hope that that sort of brings friends and loved ones together, um, not only to drink the wine but also, you know, we've made some of the best lifelong friends within this industry just because we're doing what we do, Um you know, awesome mates um, who we consider family now, you know. Um, so it's a really beautiful, uh, inspiring industry to be part of.
0: Mm, definitely.
2: Yeah. yeah. Andres?
0: Oh, uh, mate. Oh, uh, look, what I most like about wine is that no one's got all the answers. You know, there's no recipe to make the greatest wine in the world. You um, you know, Every vineyard's different, every winemaker's different, every season's different, every batch of grapes is different. And I like just, you know, seeing what happens every year with the wines and letting them kind of become their own thing. And th- that's what really gets me going with winemaking. And, and then the fact that there's no one that has the answers and going, no, you're not doing it right, you have to do it like this. And, you know, there's certain people who try to do that, but... You know, no one has all the answers. It's it's a bottomless pit of knowledge and experience. Uh, that's my favourite thing in wine making. Yeah, the rabbit hole is something
1: that um, is just internally, uh, sorry, uh, eternally just just fascinating. Um, all fermented yeah. beverages, really. This is kind of why I'm a little bit agnostic yeah, right. on this pod. It's just because I like to talk about other things as well other than wine. But I am infinitely fascinated by um by wine, for sure. What's one word to describe what you do?
2: Um, Having uh, a crack?
1: some <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, dashes in between. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, hard work, but fun. I don't
2: know. Hard to choose one word.
1: Fair enough. Think of... uh Lively. Lively, L- lively's good. Dynamic, lively's
2: good. Yeah. yeah, dynamic's good. Like
1: yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, think of a favorite album or a song, piece of music. What is it, and what do you most love about it? Um,
2: Nineteen eighty-one with a bullet. <laughs> Got some bangers on it. Love it. Recently found. A, yeah, yeah. Recently found a, the record in, a, um, in an op shop. After having the tape in the in the nineties, there was like a parent of parent of a friend gave me the tape. It's got like I Eat Cannibals, bit of Susie and the Banshees, a little bit of everything. It's great. So this album. is a
1: compilation album, kind of like hundred percent hits, yeah. but for the eighties.
2: Yeah, nineteen eighty one with a bullet. Look it up. It's brilliant.
1: <laughs> All right, I'll just pick a random song off for that then. I, I'm, I'm actually I'm on online, online now and I can see 1982 with a bullet, but not 81. Well, maybe it's I'll that one it then. Out. Yeah,
2: 1982. It's got I eat animals. That's the the song that's in my head at the moment.
1: Who's Cabals.
2: that one? I don't know. I can Google it myself. I eat
1: cannibals. I eat cannibals. <laughs> <laughs> and while Yoko's looking that up, what, what's your uh, what's your favorite tune there,
0: Andres? Oh, man. That's such, that's such a shit question because there's like. <laughs> no, it's not. It's a
1: really good one, actually.
0: There's, <laughs> you know, thousands <laughs> of different right answers to that question, I think. Um, But I guess, you know, as far as sort of high rotation for me, kind of in the last year, you know, uh, an album that's kind of really kind of worked its way into my psyche is um, uh, Run the Jewels, you know, RTJ4. Mm. You know, I think that the way they just tapped into what was going on at the time with uh, Black Lives Matter and Trump and just general – Society, the way they tap into that, kind of, you know, really kind of perfected me, and that's what I like most about music when it kind of really drills into your psyche. Mm-hmm. So that it's been in uh, high rotation. Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Get it? Yeah. Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. at it? Yeah. Look
2: at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. It? Yeah. Look at
1: all these slave masters posing on your dollar.
0: Get it? Yeah. Look at all these. Slave I guess either um, Just or Ooh La La, my, probably my favourite track from there. Right on, right on. Um, uh, can we
1: confirm whether it was 81 or 82? Uh, I'm just
2: thinking up. Sorry. Um, maybe it was actually, might have been 83 even. <laughs> yeah. Total. So I was born in 81. Total,
1: total Coolio?
2: Yeah, that's the, that's the artist for
1: the song. I but, eat um, That film clip looks cannibals.
2: pretty
1: gnarly. That's got some – it looks like a Brave New Line label actually.
2: <laughs> well, <Wow. laughs> this is where it all began. Very
1: good. The Batman, Superman um, or Spider-Man?
2: them, Wonder
1: Woman. Excellent. Excellent answer. Cool.
0: Uh, probably Spider-Man for me just because uh, fond memories of, um, you know, jumping in front of the TV when I was a little fella and watching this Spider-Man with that really cool theme song. Yeah, an um, awesome theme song. Spider-Man,
1: Spider-Man does whatever Spider-Can.
0: You know, <laughs> great great, great
1: uh, memories of early Saturday mornings. 100%, 100%. The, the DC uh, comic um, – Stable's just a little lacking in the movie department. I think recently it's
0: yeah.
1: it's been a bit of a disappointment. But having said that, Marvel's just gone way too. Um, there's too many of them. If you ask me, I don't know. Yes. Um, if we're ever in a position to recreate the Tyrannosaurus Rex, should we do it?
2: Ooh, should we? Should we open that wormhole? to the days of your, I
1: don't know, can we, can we give him longer
2: arms? Is that
1: possible? feel sorry for him. Magic <laughs> wine? Yeah. It, it, it might make so him angry. just that little bit more dangerous.
2: Or, or less angry, so he's a bit kinder.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Because
2: he's functional arms that he can use. Maybe he's just a frustrated, misunderstood dinosaur. It's
1: an interesting take. That's an interesting take. Um. Yeah. Okay. Well, I. You know. I mean, he he might be able to shout a few rounds at the pub. I know that those short arms certainly would make it difficult to reach into his pocket. So, um, yeah. advantage there. So we're we leaving him in the ground, or we we're going to dredge him
0: up with longer arms. Oh look, I think uh, those things are best left alone. <laughs> I do. Uh, you know, I think maybe just bring one back, um, you know, set him loose in the Australian Parliament and just let him tear the place up <laughs> and eat all the politicians and then we can uh, start from scratch because, you know, that whole system is so broken. Um, you know, if we just let him have one day of, of tearing, tearing current politics and situation apart so we can start from scratch and try and get it right this time. <laughs> uh, are use for um but otherwise now leave them in the ground well I, I yeah okay i can think of i
1: can think uh, that's a pretty effective way to actually um rid ourselves of these um parasites where can people find out more information where can they find your wines they can look you up online instagram twitter etc. um tell us.
2: Um, yeah, we're Brave New Wine on Instagram. We're probably most active there. Um, I try to reply to messages there. Um, we've got a woefully out-of-date website, which is bravenewwine.com.au. Mm-hmm. Which will
0: be we updated soon, hopefully. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, that's probably the best way, Instagram or our website or... Um, Email. Yeah. I can Shoot, is an
1: email. Yeah. I'll come and see you guys in uh, in Denmark. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful part of the world. Well worth a
0: visit, and um, you know, there's lots of other people doing really cool things
1: down here as well. So yeah, um, well, it'd be cool to come, come down and shine a light. Yeah, that's it.
2: Yeah,
1: guys, this has been an awesome little chat. I uh, I was I was just stoked to actually reach out, and when you said yes, and you were like, oh, I don't know what we'd talk about, and I was like, well, I'm pretty sure we could talk about a heck of a lot. Um, which we've just done. So always a privilege, always a pleasure to, to chat with uh, like-minded people that just are getting stuck in and just doing cool shit and making the world just that much nicer to be in. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Very kind. Great to
2: chat.
1: All right, episode 38, Yoko and Andre. Such a cool couple, right? Well, what did you think? Let me know. Did you enjoy it? Leave a comment if you're using Apple Podcasts. Otherwise, you can tweet me on Twitter or tag me on Instagram at Fermenting Place, or simply shout out and say hello. Give me a guest suggestion via email hello at fermentingplace.com. Okay, that's enough from me for now. Take care. Don't forget to eat, drink, and be merry. And I'll speak with you next time on the Fermenting Place Podcast.